Good morning, everybody. Look, got a hot mic. Got a hot mic here. Is it all right? All right, cool. Uh, please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. We're continuing today in our series, Test, Trust, and Triumph, that spends time in Old Testament narratives as the characters therein wrestled with the challenges laid out by God in a way that points towards the ultimate example of test, trust, and triumph as revealed with Jesus' work on the cross. Because of last month's big snowstorm, we lost a week of the series, and then Brian Float came to us last week and spoke about the challenging call that God gave to him as a youth pastor and then as the founder of Kingdom Reign. And to do that, he walked us through a chapter in the book of Exodus where Moses was challenged to be God's instrument um, to lead the Israelites out of bondage from Egypt. And that's where I want us to begin today, with, with those Israelites, with the Israelites as they left everything that they had known and moved into the unknown, uh, trusting that God would provide. Israel had been enslaved for generations. It's, it's not too difficult to imagine that there was a loss of identity that, there would have, um, that would have been possible in the people that left Egypt. I'm a slave just like my father before me and my grandfather before him, and now you're telling me that I'm one of God's chosen people? I'm one of God's children? Last fall, several of us, several of us had the, the privilege of, of hearing lectures by N.T. Wright, who spoke at St. Mary's Seminary, and I'm sorry for putting them on the spot but this morning, but I wanted to mention how proud I was of many of our EDGE students, our youth group students, who came not only out to that event, but also they wrote essays on how they experienced their time listening to the lectures. Their essays were remarkable and had within them this depth that I absolutely confess that I did not possess when I was that age. The truth is, as fantastic as Wright's lectures were during that week, they were a bit heavy, to say the least. Rachel and Andrew, in particular, I think, understood more than I did. That being said, one of our own, Ann Jones, she stood up towards the end of those lectures and she asked Wright how he would explain what he'd been talking about to a five-year-old. I remember that one of the things he said to us after Ann's question was, tell the story. Make God's story a part of your home. Make it a part of your life. Find yourself in the grand narrative of redemptive history, and then, as a family, pray about how we can build for God's kingdom. You see, I think that the primary thing that would have been talked about on that way out of Egypt, as the Israelites spent time in the wilderness, was that story. The story that their ancestors had been called into. When God calls Moses into action in Exodus 3, he told us, he, he, he is told to tell the Israelites that the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So now the story must be told. And when we get to the end of it, we tell it again because it's the greatest story ever told. It's the only story worth telling. It's the story that envelops 
all other stories in the true redemptive work of God and the plan for cosmic reconciliation. I picture a dry and dusty road full of people wondering where their next drink of water was going to come from. And then they hear someone near the back begin to tell that story again. And perhaps this time they highlight a particular episode that brings home the truth that the Lord will provide. In the beginning, God created a dynamic, growing world that was alive and full of life. It wasn't merely a perfect world, no less or more than it needed to be. No, it was a good world. And that meant that God's blessings were new every morning. As the culmination of this creation, God creates humanity in his own image. As much as the spirit of the Almighty is moving through the created order, now with humanity, a unique relationship has begun that will see mankind having dominion, a responsibility over the rest of the created order. For a time, things just continue being good until one day, humanity is overtaken by its own selfishness and a darkness enters the story that cannot be easily removed. The simple disobedience of one generation gives way to the destruction of human life in the next. And it's not long before this darkness, this sin, has infected every crack and crevice of human existence. We're even told of an especially powerful episode where almost all of mankind is destroyed by God in a flood because it has become too wicked. All but one man's family, a man that was supposedly righteous and blameless in his generation, are swept away and it doesn't last. Evil survives and it becomes clear through the biblical narrative that something much more powerful will be needed to destroy evil once and for all. Victory over that caliber of darkness requires sacrifice. So God calls another man, Abram. He tells Abram that he will be the father of a great nation that will be blessed in order that they might be a blessing to others. In fact, through Abram's bloodline, all of the nations of the world will be blessed somehow. The problem was, Abe and his wife didn't have any kids. And they're getting kind of up there in age. Sarah, his wife, encourages him to sleep with her Egyptian handmaid, uh, uh, maidservant, Hagar, so that they might start having children. This works, and the child Ishmael is born. But then, in a remarkable turn of events, Abraham's wife, Sarah, gets pregnant, and has their son Isaac, and asks Abraham to banish Hagar and Ishmael. So now here's Abraham, in extreme old age, with one son who is supposed to be this son of promise, the one whom God would continue to use as this rescue mission for the world, and we can only imagine how precious Isaac was in the sight of his father. Now we pick up in Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now, we just skimmed through the Abrahamic narrative, but Abraham is no stranger to being tested. He was called out of everything he knew to inhabit a new land and be the father of God's rescue mission to the world. 
And he did this all in old age with the added difficulty of already losing one son, one son that he fathered by his wife's maidservant. So when God says Abraham, in res his response is what? Here I am. Edge student. Does that remind you of anything? What? <laughs> Kara polling, ladies and gentlemen. It reminds her of Moses. That was the same thing that Moses said in the text last week. Here I am. It's very calm, isn't it? Yep, it's the same thing that Moses said in the passage from last week. It's extraordinarily calm. Not a complaint with Heman and Holland. Not an exuberant, anxious desire to find out what the, the next thing is going to be. It's a simple, here I am, very trusting. Commentators point out that the ball had been moved down the field already. We got the Isaac origin story that we needed, but now, now we get something unexpected, something that will seriously test Abraham's faith in his God. This is a tale, says Walter Brueggemann, of anguished God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moria and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'm going to show you. At this point, as silly as it might seem, I feel like I have no other choice but to turn personal. I've recently started dropping James off at school in the morning. And one of the things I noticed early on was that it required a great deal of trust on my part. It wasn't something that came easily. Here's this boy who I count as God's most precious blessing to me. And each day, just a little bit, I'm, I'm challenged by the pain of letting him go and walk away from me, and he goes down that hall, and he turns the corner, and then he's out of my sight, and then it's my job to turn away and get back in my car and go off about my business. Even though I have a deep amount of respect and trust for his teacher, for his school, that doesn't make letting him out of my control any easier. But the truth is that I do trust his teacher, and I do trust his school, and my trust in them is tested each day as I say goodbye to James. And it hurts a little bit, but I trust that it's only for his benefit that I say goodbye and let him walk away. The test says, the text says, that God tested Abraham. It, it was a test of obedience, a test of fear, a test of faith. I may like my son's kindergarten teacher, but how much more should I trust his creator? The one who knows every hair on his head? The one whom in my heart I, knows him, I know loves him far more than I could ever dream? Still, the sheer thought of God commanding me to bring harm to my one and only son is not of the sort of the thing, it's not the sort of thing that makes me want to wrestle with the text. Or see if through some hardship of mine, God might be glorified even through my own pain and my suffering. Even my own death, I could understand that. 
but the thought of God telling me to bring harm to my son that makes me want to tell God no. God, I can see how my pain and my suffering and my humiliation, even my death, might bring glory to your kingdom. I can get that. That's, that's fine. Please bring it on me. But the idea of hurting a child, especially my own child, no. No, that I can't bear, God. No, God, you're going you're gonna to need to find someone else to work through. We want to say, why? Why, God? What possible good could come from me sacrificing my own son? Is obedience to God always good if it were to result in the death of an innocent child? I believe that this is where telling the story can aid us. Because thank God Almighty, it wasn't me whom God tested in this way. It was Abraham. And rather than going down the path of anger and doubt, instead maybe I should just continue with the story and see how Abraham responded. And then consider if this story is pointing in the direction of something greater, something far more powerful. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. He set out, went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, maybe the volume turned up a little bit, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Very methodic, very, very slow, very detailed here. Tons of parts of the biblical narrative where you say, God, couldn't we get a little bit more information about what's going on here? But now it's slowing down. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. and We will worship. And then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father... What did Abraham say? Here I am, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on There's so much that we could fix on. What struck you? Was it the slow, methodic way in which the narrative unfolds? Commentaries point out how well the story was written. It's as if we are led led along the way by our hand, as if it's expected that we might have a difficult time with this. Did you notice how Abraham told the other men that he and Isaac would come back together? We will come back. Did you notice how calm Abraham was when Isaac began to put the pieces of the puzzle together? For all of the details that the text does give us, it provides very little dialogue between father and son. Father, where is the lamb for the offering? God himself will provide the burnt offering, my son. He will provide the lamb. 
did you notice how after that quick dialogue, we're told that the two of them walked together? Not another word from the son. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. And then the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And what did Abraham say? Here I am. Do not lay your hand on that boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have withheld your son, your only son, from me. Stop, stop. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham came incredibly close to going through with it. He actually went as far as to raise the knife to kill his son. The great thing about the Old Testament is that we're supposed to wrestle with it. It's not uncommon or inappropriate for us to read a text like this and then come away limping. It doesn't doesn't compute, you see. It's as if things are going on here that are mysterious. Why were we given a story like this to put in our Bible and then to give kids when they're baptized? There just seems like there is this disconnect between this holy God whom I believe loves me and then the story of this test of such outrageously Obedient faith. Even if Abraham passes the test and then God stops him while the knife is in the air, something about it drives us to scream, no, how could God's purposes possibly be fulfilled by the suffering death of a son at the hands of his father? Oh. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For the son of man came not to be served but to serve and give his life for the ransom of many. Think about that no that you might have shouted when you were thinking about Abraham raising that knife. About the no that you might have shouted when Abraham was asked to do that to Isaac and then turn that around and feel the no that we might want to shout when we realize that it was Jesus who suffered the pain and the humiliation and the death that I deserved. It's like that moment in the Chronicles of Narnia when the kids realize that it's Aslan. It's Aslan who's being led to the witch. No. No, 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 no. It's I deserve, I deserve to be there, not, not Jesus. Friends, God stayed Abraham's hand. And Isaac grew to be the father of Jacob. And through Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel. 
who were enslaved for a time but delivered through Moses and then set out to inherit the promised land. The declaration from God at the end of Genesis 22 is that he would make Abraham's offspring as numerous as the stars in heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And perhaps what that mass exodus needed to hear on the way out of Egypt was the Lord will provide. God himself will provide the lamb. For us, perhaps we come here today, we, we, we came in those doors and with an enormous amount of pain and suffering. Perhaps we come with questions that are weighing upon our souls. We have sin that's infecting our heart. And it may seem that there is this mysterious disconnect between the love I know God has for me and then the sin that is evident in my life. God, how could I ever reconcile the great divide between my sinful humanity and your holiness? We read in Exodus that when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and saw the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have only to be still. The proclamation of the gospel is to fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he is working for you today. For it was King Jesus, it was God incarnate who actually reconciles the story. It is he who fulfills the story of Israel. It's Jesus who welcomes us into his kingdom through his blood. And if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and that's never been real for you, or perhaps there's a whisper in your ear that it's time for recommitment, if you've been caught in habitual sin, you've been given over to the pain and suffering and humiliation, if you feel that disconnect between yourself and God, allow Him. Proclaim Him as Lord and Savior. Allow Him to reconcile the story and confess Him as your Savior, as your Lord. For only in the name of Jesus can humanity be saved from that darkness which has infected us? Only through Jesus will the story reach its eventual culmination where we see Christ the King on the eternal throne. Because that moment, in that moment, we see that through his pain and through his humiliation and through his suffering, there is also triumphant Good Father, your faithfulness is astounding. It is true that at times we are tested. We go through trials, we go through tribulation, we go through pain and suffering and humiliation. And we just thank you that the gospel proclamation, the good news, is that you have stepped in 
that you call us to follow you as Lord, as Savior, as King. And when we give our lives to you, we are now dead, and it is no longer we that live, but you that live in us. And through that, we experience new life, new creation. We experience the resurrection that we anticipate on Easter morning. Father, help us to see that you have reconciled our story. Help us to feel your Holy Spirit alive in this place. Help us to ask each other. Ask each other about what Jesus means to them. When did Jesus become real in your life? And as we grow together through a community, we see that the gospel is more powerful than we even ever realized. I ask all of this in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.